Today's passage comes from Luke. It's the lectionary passage for the third Sunday in Easter, and it also happens to be, I think, probably my favorite passage in the whole Bible. It's known as the Road to Emmaus story. It comes, as I said, after the Easter season, but in the story itself, it happens late in the afternoon on the first Easter Sunday. In the New Testament, there are seven appearances of the resurrected Christ, appearances made to his disciples and friends. And in each case, Jesus reveals something particularly peculiar to his essence, to his being. And in each case, they didn't recognize him at first, but when he revealed himself that peculiar way, they got it. Such as the case in this morning's passage. May God open our eyes so that we may see the risen Christ in our midst, reading from Luke 24, verses 13 through 34. Now on that same day, that is the first Easter, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to one of them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Jesus asked them, What things? As if he didn't know. They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. And moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was still alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight." They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? 
That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. He sat at table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed it and broke it and handed it to his disciples. And the passage says, at that moment their eyes were opened and they recognized him. What was it that they saw? What gave him away to them in the taking of the bread. They had walked seven miles with him already, and Jesus had explained to them along most of that route the whole understanding of the Bible, beginning with Moses through the prophets, and they didn't get Jesus even then, although looking back they remembered that their hearts burned. They had no idea who this man was, but they knew that he was a stranger who also needed their hospitality, and so they invited him into their home near dusk. It was the, is the biblical understanding of how you welcome strangers. And at table, Jesus reached out, grabbed the bread, blessed it, broke it, and handed it to them then, and he gave himself away. Why? Was it the sacrament? Certainly the bread of the sacrament has something to do with it. He did exactly what he had done on the Thursday night at the Last Supper, just four days before. You remember that story, sitting with his disciples the night before he was to be crucified. He takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, hands it to his disciples, and it's now the sacrament that we continue as we remember Christ here. Maybe it was that. In some churches, they claim that the bread and the wine of Christ is the actual bodily presence of Christ. But in the Protestant church, we claim that it is not the bodily presence, but instead the sacramental presence, a symbolic presence of the bread and or body and blood of Jesus. And when we say... Uh, uh, wherever we eat this bread and drink this wine, we show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. We are saying that he's not present here, actually embodied, until he does come again. We remember it and the story, and in remembering it, we remember the spirit of it, and the spirit of it becomes a part of us, and we a part of it. So in a sacramental sense, it could have been that. That's what gave Jesus away. But I think Luke wants us to see something more basic, more embodied, more incarnational. I think it was Jesus' hands that gave him away. When he held the bread up, it was his hands they recognized. My father, who died 10 years ago, I still cannot remember or bring his face up 
yet had unbelievable hands. If you think about those you've lost, it's hard to reimagine their face. There's something in their essence that's missing until you see a photograph of them. Try to do that. But you can remember their hands. I remember my father's hands as hands as he drove the car uh, and would reach out from time to time and grab my knee, surprising me, and squeezing it right above my knee, saying, how does a horse eat corn? Munch, munch, munch. And I would always scream and say, don't do that. <laughs> I can remember my father's hands as they taught me how to play golf and to shoot bird with a shotgun, to play basketball. I remember my father's hands uh, in, in, in the way that his fingers would curve inward his index fingers as they do now, and the way he would hold his whistle up later in life when we had anointed him uh, the uh, recreation director and put it to his mouth and blow it and start pointing his finger about what we're going to do next, horseshoes or whatever. It was always about his hands. I can remember those hands distinctly. I also remember how my father being from an older generation, <clears throat> did not use his hands for sharing affection, at least at first. And also as a World War II veteran, he was even more reticent to show affection, especially with his hands. And so when I was about 30, I went to him and said, Dad, I miss being hugged by you. And it was almost as if he needed permission, because from then on, until the day before he died, every time I would enter the room, well, not every time, but whenever he first saw me, he would reach out and embrace me with his hands. I think it was the hands of Jesus. If my, my father's hands are that present, think about how present Jesus' hands must have been. The same hands that reached for a child and put him on his knee and said, Blessed are the children that come unto me. The same hands that reached down and pulled the dead child Tabitha up out of her slumber into life, touching a defiled body according to the religious authorities. The same hands that put together a clump of mud and spit on it and molded it into some paste to with his finger put into the eye of a blind man. In almost every case, when Jesus heals, he does so by laying his hands on them. The same hands that took a towel and a basin of water the night before he was crucified and knelt at his disciples' feet and washed them and dried them with the towel. The same hands that were wounded and scarred on the cross as he gave himself up for the reconciliation of the world. It was his hands that when he picked up the bread, they saw it. The Gospels use the words hands, fingers, and touch more than 200 times, and in almost every case, it's about Jesus laying his hands on someone who has been lost or last or least or especially so defiled according to the religious authorities that you should not touch them, yet he did. In Luke 4.40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any uh, that were sick and various, with various diseases brought them to him, 
and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. You're not supposed to heal after the sun sets, but Jesus did because they needed healing. In the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus portrayed the love of God the Father this way. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. Rembrandt was so moved by that biblical scene that when he painted his picture, it now rests in St. Petersburg. If you've ever seen it, it's the father reaching out and embracing the son. For Rembrandt, it's always about the hands. And if you look at the hands closely, you see that the father's hands, one is huge and massive, as Jesus must have been as a carpenter. It's worn and weary and cracked, as Jesus must have been. And the other hand, if you notice, is petite and gentle and feminine as a woman's hand, as also Jesus' hand must have been. These two hands of the Father, these two hands of Christ, wrapped around each of us, that's what they got. I'm always left wondering why he disappeared that quickly. Vanished. And I finally figured it out, at least for me. He can't stay around without taking away the power that he gives us to be his hands in the world. We experience his presence once in the breaking of the bread like those disciples, but we're meant to experience his presence every single time we reach out like Jesus and use our hands in the same way he did. Maybe it's ringing bells in worship. Maybe it's playing a musical instrument. Maybe it's holding up a hymnal. Maybe it's being a physician. Maybe it's writing notes to people who need comfort words. In all the many gazillion ways we can use our hands to be like Christ, every single time we do, we are meant to see that our hands are now the hands of Jesus. And every time that happens, voila, Jesus is present through our hands. He's got the whole world in his hands is also to say that he's got the whole world in ours. Just as we are the body of Christ, we are most especially the hands of Christ. So look at your hands. Look at them. Now, I'm serious. Look at your hands. Examine them. And ask yourself, how is Jesus using your hands to reveal himself in this world? How is Jesus using your hands to be present? Oh God, bless the work of our hands. Bless thou the work of our hands. In Christ's name, amen.